0: Let us pray. i most eternal and everlasting, Father, King of kings, Lord of lords, majestic in all your ways, loving and caring, an omnipresent God, omniperspective God. You are aware of everything and every place. We come to you praising you for who you are. That you have given us this privilege to call you a father. Yes, we are, because your son Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, has made this possible. It's made it possible that we can approach you with the absolute confidence that you do hear us because of his sacrifice on our behalf, because He pleads on our behalf. For this, we are thankful. This morning we have assembled. In obedience to instruction that we should do so, especially as we see the evil days drawing near, and we know we're in a tumultuous times, we recognize that underneath, of course, are the everlasting arms that sustain us. So, for as we have gathered this morning to study a portion of your word. We recognize that the human mind is incapable of focusing or understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that God the Holy Spirit, who is the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request. In Christ's name, Amen. We are still dealing with spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. 1 Corinthians. Chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. And I'm going to read, begin from verse 9. It is to another faith. By the same spirit. To another gifts of healing. By that one spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still and order the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He gives them to each one just as He determines. Now the message, of course, of this section that we've been considering is that there are several spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gave for the benefit of the church. Now consequently, we have considered six of these spiritual gifts, so we proceed now with the seventh spiritual gift. The seventh spiritual gift is concerned with distinguishing of spirits, as stated in the phrase of 1 Corinthians 12. 10. Look at that again. It says, to another distinguishing between spirits. Uh, A literal translation of the Greek reads, simply, designing Designings of spirit. Designings of spirit. Now, this, this seventh uh, spiritual gift is related to the sixth gift, although it is not explicitly stated. But whatever this gift is, there is a connection between it and the gift of prophecy because there is such a thing as false prophets. Now, the existence of false prophets. Requires that uh, believers be able to recognize such individuals. This gift, wherever it is so far, should be recognized as including a guard rail for the gift of prophecy, something to guide prophecy as it relates to spirits. Now, be that then as you may, to understand. What this gift is, we need to consider the word spirit. But before we do, we should recognize that the word distinguishing is translated from a Greek noun that may mean distinguishing, differentiation, in the sense of the ability to evaluate and judge. Evaluate and judge. As it is used in differentiating good from evil, according to Hebrews. Chapter five, verse fourteen. Hebrews Chapter five, verse fourteen. Hebrews Chapter five, verse fourteen reads, Based solid food is for the mature. Who by constant use, notice what constant use, that by constant application of the Word of God, then you do this. You say, use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. In other words, you have to learn the Word and consistently apply it so that it becomes a part of you. In that way, you're able to know something that may even appear to be good. Yet You are able to distinguish it. Now the uh, Greek word may mean quarrel, quarrel, in the sense of engagement in verbal conflict because of different uh, viewpoints, as that is the sense uh, of the word that is used in Apostle Paul's instruction regarding debatable matters in Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. It is, Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. <laughs> Again, you say, what is the word for right there? Yes, it's not in the NIV. However, the, the verbal phrase, without passing judgment on disputable matters, more literally from the Greek reads this way, not for quarrels about opinions. That's how the Greek reads, not for quarrels about opinions. Now in our passage of first Corinthians twelve ten, the Greek word is used in the sense of distinguishing that is having the ability to evaluate and decide or make judgment about something. Does not the word has a sense of being able to uh, design or to evaluate between spirits involved in conveying a message or any activity purported to come from God, as the phrase, as in that phrase, distinguishing between spirits. So, what does the they mean by spirits now I'm going to take you through things I've done before, it's nothing new but I can almost assure you that most of you would have forgotten this, it hasn't been long we looked at the word but uh, you will have forgotten it but anyway if you haven't uh, all the more better you solidify what you know so the issue is what are spirits now this may seem of course to some of you to be a trivial question until one understands that commentators have given various interpretations of what spirits mean as used by the Apostle Paul in this particular passage. Me, take for example, a commentator takes the word spirits to be the same as prophetic utterance, prophetic utterance, and another take the word as a reference to the spirits of people and evil spirits. Now because of the various uh, interpretations given by commentators, it will be necessary to uh, examine the word spirits as used in the Greek New Testament. We have done several times. I will repeat it here with some additions. Now the word spirits, it's translated from a Greek word that really is where we get our English word pneumatics. It's a Greek word pneuma that may mean wind as in the description by our Lord of one that is born again. You can figure him or her out according to John chapter 3 verse 8. we're saying that, really, an unbeliever cannot really truly figure out a believer who lives consistently with the truth. Because they think you go this way or think this way, and they think the other way, because God's ways are not the same as man's ways. So this is what Allah says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear a sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with every one born of the Spirit. Now, the word may mean lawless one, uh, may mean simply breath, As Apostle Paul used it to describe the manner of the destruction of the lawless one in the future, by the Lord Jesus Christ according to 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8. 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8. 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8 reads... And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath. That breath is some same Greek word translated spirit. That with the breath of his mouth and destroyed by the splendor of his coming. Now the word may mean spirit as that which animates or gives life to the body. As the word is used to indicate That without it, the body is lifeless. As in James chapter 2, verse 26. James chapter 2, verse 26. It is, James chapter 2, verse 26 reads... As the body without the spirit is dead, that is a word, of course, is dead, so faith without this is dead. So spirit here is that which animates the body, so to say. Now the uh, Greek word may mean spirit as part of the human personality with various nuances, for example, it may refer to uh, to a person's very self, or what we call ego, as it is used by Apostle Paul in describing the assurance of the Holy Spirit to a believer regarding his or her salvation, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Romans, chapter 8, verse 16. Romans, chapter 8, verse 16 reads, The Spirit himself, there are the word spirit used twice here though. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Definitely the first spirit refers to the Holy Spirit. The other spirit refers to humans related to humans. Anyway, according to the standard Greek English English lexicon of uh, Daca, uh, Daca and, uh, and Greek, the sentence the spirit himself testifies with our spirits is better translated this way. The Spirit of God, of course, bears witness to our very self. In other words, the second spirit now is translated very self. Very self. Which makes more sense than to say that you, you, and, uh, you and I as believers join with the Holy Spirit to testify to ourselves. Now, that doesn't happen. It's the Holy Spirit that testifies or gives you a confirmation... An assurance that you are saved. By the way, I've said that in the past, it is subjective. In other words, the way he uh, does that with me is not the way he's going to do with you or the next believer. But in the end, the result will have to be the same that you have that conviction that you are a child of God, that if you should drop dead right now, you see the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. Now, the word also may mean or refer to the immaterial part of a person in contrast to the material part, as Apostle Paul used it in his appeal to the Corinthians for holy living in Second Corinthians chapter seven verse one. Second Corinthians chapter seven. Verse 1 and hold on to that 2nd Corinthians because the next passage is also in 2nd Corinthians. 2nd Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 reads Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves. From everything that contaminates body and spirit. See, body is material. Spirit is the immaterial part of us. It's a perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Now, under this meaning of the immaterial part of a person, the word could refer to the source and seat of insight feeling and will generally as a representative part of the human inner life so that it may miss mind it may mean mind now it is in this meaning that it is used in Apostle Paul's description of his state when he could not locate or find titles as we read still in that 2nd Corinthians look at chapter 2 now verse 13 2nd Corinthians chapter 2 verse 13 it reads I still had no peace of mind Because I did not find my brother Titus there, so I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Now the the phrase peace of mind is literally, the Greek word rest in my spirit, rest in my spirit. Still in this meaning, the word could refer to spiritual state or state of mind or disposition. As it is really used to describe the disposition that a believing wife should have to be considered beautiful. In other words, the Bible has a different standard. Are We humans, we look at a woman, had a groom, and the nose, and whatever it is, we say, beautiful woman, yes, which only serves for a purpose, as I always have explained to you. That beautiful face serves only one purpose, to attract you, the lady, to a man. That's it. What is done? It's gone. What the man now wants to see is what I'm about to read. The beautiful self of that beautiful woman. Now, this is the way it comes. In, in First Peter, chapter 3, verse 4. 4 Peter, chapter 3, verse 4. It is still, I mean, talking on the beauty of the lady, the believing lady we are talking about. He said instead, or instead, it should be that of your inner self. That's the kind of beauty that you need to have. Look at what he said, the unfading beauty. In other words, there is a time coming, whether you like it or not. Every woman, that makeup won't do much for you. Because the face things have sagged and there's just no. That's what you can do about it. But the only thing that's unfading. Look at what it says: unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, as suggested though in the Standard Greek English lexicon, the phrase "quiet spirit" may be translated "quiet." Disposition. Now, sometime uh, when we study some of these things, we become narrow minded in our applications of things. I have just described a woman. Something I just said applies to a handsome man. Something. Don't think it's just a woman. We're talking about a handsome man. What makes a man handsome? Something. Quite straight, certain, quite disposition. Now it boys you know, it comes down to you this way. I believe most Christian men and women who are married probably have never considered what I'm about to take. And that is it. That the way you do your marriage is going to be rewarded in heaven the way you do your marriage will be rewarded in heaven. So what is he talking about? Well, first of all, the Bible says what? Do everything to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doing marriage is part of glorifying Jesus Christ. So if you do it well, you'll be rewarded in heaven. So if you have that in your thinking, then you'll be the best husband. You'll be the best wife because you know you're glorifying your Savior. On top of it, you'll be rewarded in heaven. So quiet disposition does not only apply to a wife, it applies to a man as well. Anyway, the Greek word may mean spirit as an independent, non-corporal being in contrast to a being that can be perceived by the physical senses. Consequently, it is used then for created spirit beings, whether their function is good or bad. Now Apostle Paul used it then to describe harmful spirits that will attempt to deceive people as he presented in First Timothy chapter four verse one. First Timothy First Timothy chapter four, verse one. It is the Spirit clearly says that in the later times Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Spirits here, the harmful ones. Now the word may mean God's being as a controlling influence with focus on association with humans. Hence means spirit with S capitalized. Now according to Apostle Paul, he used it to describe God the Holy Spirit Using different phrases. For example, he described the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of God in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Now hold on to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 reads, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Here the Spirit of God refers to the Holy Spirit. Now, the apostle also described the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In St. Philippians, chapter 1, verse 19. Philippians, chapter 1, verse 19. It reads, For I know, that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So here the Spirit of Jesus refers to the uh, Holy Spirit. And I've done this in the past and I'm going to debate it right here so that the person may look, uh, look at these two passages in Philippians and say that uh, he, he doesn't see how the Spirit of uh, ...God or the Spirit of Christ is a description of the Holy Spirit. So if that's the case, uh, let me uh, refer you to a passage, that leaves no doubt, or passages... ...that the Holy Spirit may be described as the Spirit of Jesus. Now here, this is not my note for sure. When, it, when we think about the Spirit of Jesus, the, Greek, the English will say Spirit of Jesus... Well, the Greek allows us to give so many interpretations to that. Which is probably the reason why we can say it, that the Holy Spirit refers to the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Is because, you see the word, we we'll say, the Spirit of Jesus. In this, in this particular case, uh, since we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we say the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Greek allows us to say this Spirit from Jesus Christ. Now that changes the whole thing. The Spirit from Jesus Christ. And if you say that, you see, it's easy to understand because Christ promised before he left this planet, I'm going to send you from the Father the Holy Spirit. So it's the Spirit from him. Because you say, I'm going to send you. So the Spirit from him is the Holy Spirit. Anyway, so even just that alone, it's for people who Deal with the Greek and so on, they can see that that alone should tell them that the Spirit of uh, Christ refers to the Holy Spirit. But let's look at, uh, in case, you know, for people who uh, probably don't know much about that in terms of Greek. So let's look at uh, two passages that will help us just from the English versions. And the first one is why the Holy Spirit is described by the Apostle Paul. Uh, I mean by Luke, as keeping the Apostle Paul and his team from going to a province in Asia to preach the gospel. In Acts chapter 16 verse 6. Now, I know this sometimes, some of this is strange to a lot of people who do not know much about the scripture. You want to go to give the gospel everywhere. But the Holy Spirit can say, no, you don't go there. For whatever reason. And when he does that, it's because maybe, what we can speculate, there are no elect right there at that time. So you don't need to go. Or even if they are the elect, they are not ready to receive the gospel yet. And so the Holy Spirit can say, no, don't go there. So it's nothing strange if we look at this passage and hold on to that uh, chapter 16 of Acts verse 6 reads Paul and his companions travel through the region of uh, Phugia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia The province of Asia. That's the key phrase, the province of Asia. Now, so it is the Holy Spirit, because here it says, by the Holy Spirit. So then it is the Holy Spirit that kept Paul and his team from preaching in the province of Asia. But then Luke reports that it was the Spirit of Jesus that would not allow the apostle and his team entering some part of the province of Asia in verse 7. Look at verse 7. Acts chapter 6, look at verse 7. He said, when they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter the Athenia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. He said, where is Asia there? Well, Messiah... Was an area in the northwest Asia Minor, part of the province of Asia. So, if you wouldn't let them enter into the, if the Holy Spirit would not let them enter into the province of Asia, and here we have it in the next verse, does the Spirit of Christ wouldn't do that? So, it's, as I say, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to make the connection that the Spirit of the Holy Spirit in verse six must be the same as the spirit of Jesus in verse 7. Therefore, all I'm saying is there's no doubt then that the spirit of Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as we have stated. Now in our passage though of 1 Corinthians chapter twelve verse 10, the Greek word Numa is used with a sense of supernatural being that includes God, the Holy Spirit, and the other created supernatural beings that are antagonistic towards God, the Creator, that we often refer as demons or evil spirits. In effect, what we're saying is that the plural spirits, spirits, they are use. In the passage we are studying in 1 Corinthians 12.10. Uh, that that re- is a reference to the Holy Spirit and evil spirits. That that word spirits refers to Holy Spirit and evil spirits. Now it is true, there are good spirits such as angels, as we may gather from Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. Now we know that they are angels, they're good ones, because they are, they've been appointed by God to serve us as far as our salvation is concerned, so they're involved. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 reads Are not all angels ministering spirits? See, that's the word, they are ministering spirits. Sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Now, at this point, we are lower than they are because they are in the spiritual form. But one day, when it's all said and done, we'll be higher than there. That's one reason they are serving us right now, ministering to our, our needs as God has determined. Now, but the apostle could not then have included them. In the war spirits. In the passage that we are studying. Because we have no record of angels speaking through human voices. Or inspiring humans to speak. In contrast to evil spirits that do that as we will show you later. So the point then is that spirits... As used in the phrase of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, we say, Distinguishing between spirits refers to Holy Spirit and evil spirits. So that word, you know, put something on it. It refers to the Holy Spirit and evil spirits. So the words then that we have considered enable us to state that the gifts of distinguishing spirits is the ability that the Holy Spirit grants certain individuals to recognize the source of any proclamation that comes from a person that claims to be speaking under inspiration. Now this gift is, as we have stated, including a guardrail for the gift of prophecy. Something to help guide it. Now, this is because when we speak in a general sense, what we say is ultimately from God that may involve either the Holy Spirit or a created spirit other than the Holy Spirit. So we can have. The only time we speak, as I've said many times, and I'll keep repeating, whenever a word comes out of our mouth, ultimately it's from God. But God can use intermediate spirits to force words out of our mouth. Now, so this idea that what comes out of our mouth is from a source other than ourselves is recognized by the question that Job recorded, uh, of Job that's recorded in Job 26, verse 4. Job Chapter 26, verse 4. It is, Job 26, verse 4 reads, Who has helped you utter these words? And whose spirit spoke from your mouth? Now, Job's question implies that Job does not accept... Uh, Bill as words as originating within him, but he has them flowing out of his mouth like inspiration from a source other than him. Now this is what I've said many times, and I repeat it when it's necessary, that many times, if you really think you control things about you or things come out of your mouth. How many times have you said, well, something just came out of your mouth? You say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. And I always say, yeah, you meant to say that. You just didn't know. It's what's in you that is, uh, they, they ultimately God forced out, out of your mouth. You can take it back. You say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. So, for whatever reason, God did that. Maybe to make you <laughs> listen to yourself. That's what you're thinking, that you didn't want to verbalize. (laughs) And suddenly, he voiced it out. So, the point is that we should recognize that when a person utters anything, that such utterance comes from a source other than the person, so to speak. And if you recall, in our study of the sovereign plan of God, that's one of those things that I emphasize, that if you actually grasp that, and really believe it. And apply it. Human beings will not make you unhappy. The problem is we don't grasp that. Or we don't believe it. Otherwise when something comes out of a business mind. say, huh? It's not really coming from that person. So you have to now analyze which one? Is God using an intermediate agent? Called evil spirit? To do something or is the Holy Spirit doing that directly either way you know the person is not, the, he is just an instrument and therefore at that point you look at your, what you had, whatever it is and see what is designed to do to you is it designed to test you to see how stable you are spiritually or is it something designed to shake you to the core where you, come, where you fall the, uh, flat on your face. But no matter what comes out of a person's mouth, if you really believe this, it shouldn't really uh, bother you. You know a whole lot of us, we go around look, looking for human approval. And not necessarily. Something you should do, you should be more concerned about God's approval. But my point though is, if you understand this one fact, When something comes out of a person's mouth, you quietly think about it for a moment, if it's possible before you react, because there is a purpose for that. And you try to figure out what's the purpose of this thing that came out of this person's mouth. It may sound horrible, yeah, but something, a force greater than the person pulls that word out of the person's mouth. Anyway... My point though is we continue to see that you can speak by saying things coming out from a source greater than you yourself. Now this fact is demonstrated during the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where evil spirits took possession of individuals so they utter things that a human being could not ordinarily know. Now, you take for example, an evil spirit speaking through a man recognizing true identity of Jesus Christ. As we read in Mark chapter 1 verses 23 through 24. Mark Mark chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. It It reads, Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, certainly, he was not the man speaking from his knowledge. But he spoke as evil spirit hijacked his vocal cord. Now, of course, today you know people don't—they don't want to believe those things. They give all kinds of medical explanation to all that. Can they explain all you want; it doesn't change the fact that demons are still doing that, and you know all kinds of things. Of course, you know people don't—they don't believe demons exist anyway. Yes, there are things that they say can not explain it, and they say, oh, yeah, uh, schizophrenia and all that. And, well. I just say, wait to explain away the reality of what God uh, of what God has in creation, which is there are evil spirits. Otherwise, tell me how a, a human being will see another person, don't know him, know her, even, never talk to the person, and sees a train comes go shock the person inside the coming train. Tell me why we do that. What's going on? Well, they say, yeah, he's mentally disturbed. Yeah. (laughs) What's that mental disturbance? The people don't want to, you know, they do not want to accept the Bible. Well, fine. We just keep wallowing in our own misery instead of accepting what God says. But as a believer, hope you don't join this group anyway. The point is, from what we're reading here, a human being could not have known the true identity of Jesus as he has not fully described that dream, the early part of his earthly ministry. He has not described himself fully yet. So, there's no way this man could have been talking on his own. One that knows Jesus Christ. An evil spirit knows who Christ is. And that's why I say, the Holy One of God. A human being doesn't know that, at that point. Another example of an evil spirit hijacking the voice of a human being. So the individual utters something that does not originate from the individual is the incident where a man beat up the seven sons of Sceva, as Luke narrates in Acts chapter 19 verses 14 through 16. Acts chapter nineteen verses fourteen through sixteen. It reads: Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. What is this? Exorcism. Trying to drive out demons. He said we are doing this. One day. The evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know. I know about Paul. But who are you? Then. The man who had. The evil spirit jumped on them. And overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating. That they ran out of the house. Naked and bleeding. One man. Against seven. Think about it for a moment. (laughs) And he has such a power. Why? Because he wasn't himself. A demon has taken over his whole being. Including his voice. His power and everything. So he was able to do that. Anyway the question though. Jesus I know. And I know about Paul, but who are you must have been posing through the mouth of this man that had demon inside of him since he was the one that carried out this beating. So what this means is that when a person claims to prophesy, it is important to determine the source behind such utterance. Now, a person could prophesy when controlled by Holy Spirit. But a person could also prophesy falsely when controlled by a spirit other than the Holy Spirit. Now, this is illustrated in the prophecy of the prophets in the court of Ahab that was intended to deceive him to go to war to die. As recorded in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 20. Uh, please hold on your axe. I'm coming back to uh, sorry. Put your marker there before you go to this passage in 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 21 and 22. First Kings. Now this is one of those things when you read. You have heard me several times say this. Rarely is a crowd right. Rarely. When you see the masses. Very rare at the right. This is why if you, the homers go this way. I tend to go the other way. There has to be something. Where people and not thinking. They just following in whatever it is. Now we have an example of this. 400 versus one man. 400 prophets versus one man who is a prophet from God. But the other 400, they are deceived. And this is their deception that the true prophet or the prophet that is uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit is now explaining. Those people were empowered by some spirit as we, he explains here. So, finally, A spirit came forward, stood before the Lord, and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord, go and do it. See, all of them, all these false prophets, about 400 of them, I think, and they all they all say the same thing they have asked him, "Am I going to make it in this? Am I going to give it to you? they all said, "Yes, yes, 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 and that's when they said for Micaiah, the man who said, he said "Now all the other prophets have already given him assurance you keep the same words and that when he came there, he said, "Well, it look like you're going to win and when they came from the southern kingdom said, now you tell us the truth. He said, well, okay. Now he said all that. And as soon as he said it, the other man, uh, the leader of the other prophets, smacked him. Say, where did the spirit come from to reach you and tell you all this? He said, well, mark my word. If he comes back alive, I'm a fool, more or less. Of course, <laughs> Ahab did not come back alive. So we know that. So the gift of distinguishing spirits... Is the person who has it to recognize the source of any proclamation that involves anything spiritual. Now, Apostle Paul certainly had this gift so that he was uh, able to discern that the Spirit speaking through a slave girl was not the Holy Spirit, although. The God's utterance was complimentary to the Apostle. But the compliments were from an evil spirit. Now this is before I even read this. Here is something many of us will call victim to. If somebody flatters you, you forget what is the truth. And you just go by that flattery And start acting that way. Instead of, you know what the truth is. But you ignore it. Because somebody flattered you. It requires a whole mature person. Spiritual I'm talking. To hear people compliment you. And don't get swayed by it. It should never affect you. Because it can be part of something designed to. Test you to see if you are the person who speaks by the truth. So somebody compliments you, you ignore whatever it is he or she did and go along with whatever it is. And that is a wrong thing to do, as we're going to see here with the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter sixteen, verses seventeen to eighteen. Acts chapter 16 verses 17 through 18 it is the girl that is a slave girl who has been making money for her master by some kind of what you may call today medium speakers. They're using the spirit in her, talking and saying things and telling people what's going on, fortune tellers and all that, that kind of thing. So this, this God followed Paul and the rest of us shouting These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled. Why do you think he was troubled? This is a complimentary thing, right? Well, look, says so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit. That is what he said. He didn't say to the God. He said to the spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you. To come out of her, at that moment, the spirit left her. So it he, he would seem that a god spoke through a spirit, who was doing, uh, who spoke through a, a spirit was doing a good thing by telling people the Apostle Paul and his team had a message necessary for salvation. Well, I mean, it would have been nice, right? You think about it. Oh, this lady is complimenting us that we are evangelists or whatever it is. Now knowing it wasn't her. So it requires one with the gift of design and of spirit. That's what Paul had. So that's why the the apostle got irritated. It wasn't the right source that needed to compliment him and his thing. So the apostle was not going to have anything to do with an evil spirit. And so, he drove it away from the God. So it is our argument then, that the apostle had the gift of distinguishing between spirits, that he was able to recognize that the spirit by which the God spoke was not a good spirit, but an evil spirit. Anyway, the use of the gift of distinguishing spirits is not the same as the responsibility assigned to all believers of being able to recognize false prophets and teachers. That's why I say, you as a believer, you have that responsibility of being able to dictate and know those who are false at a Prophets or teachers, you should be able to do that. But, so I'm saying, what we are talking about, is not that. Because this is the one that is generally given to all believers in 1 John, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. 1 John, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It reads, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now the reason we say this uh, is not the same as the gift we're talking about. Is because Apostle Paul, I mean Apostle John here, uh, gave uh, the criterion for determining whether a prophet is true or false based on the acknowledgment of the person. What the person acknowledges. Now the same kind of taste is uh, uh, the taste is similar to the one that uh, the Apostle provided as we began this section of chapter 12 dealing with uh, spiritual matters in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 3 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 3 same kind of thing that John gave that we have here he said Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the test is that the, a person cannot confess Christ if he or she is controlled by an evil spirit. In the same way, no matter what a person prophesies, if they don't confess that that Christ is indeed the God-Man, He's both God, He's both man, in one person. If they don't do that, then he, that person is false. Now the point then is that the seventh gift then of distinguishing between spirits is a gift that enables the one with it to be able to discern the source. Of any proclamation that is claimed to be inspired or to be prophetic. So with that, we move on to the 8th spiritual gift. Now the 8th spiritual gift is related to speaking in tongues. As we read in the phrase where we're studying First Corinthians 12 verse 10, it says, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. Or literally, the Greek reads, to another kinds of tongues. Kinds of tongues. Since it was speaking of the NIV, although a good addition uh, in the English translation, does not explicitly appear in the Greek. Now, as we have uh, Commented previously, the phrase "to another" that phrase "to another" is a reminder that not everyone has this spiritual gift. In contrast to some Christian groups teach what they teach today. Make some more comment about that in the in the series of the study. Now, that aside, our concern for now is simply to understand what this gift means, since there is disagreement among well meaning believers regarding this gift of tongues. Speaking in tongues. Now, the gift has caused many problems among believers today, as they did in Corinth. Because if it wasn't a problem in Corinth, we wouldn't be studying it. Which, of course, I've mentioned to you that all the problems in the early church, in those places that the apostles would disciples, those things are a part of God's plan to help the future believers know how to deal with some of these things. Now, so, all I'm saying is that this gift has caused many problems. Now, confusion among some believers concerning what this gift means is in part because of how to understand what tongue in the New Testament means. That's part of it. What tongue means. Now, the, so the problem then boils down to this. Whether tongue is to be understood as a foreign language Or a spiritual language. That's what it boils down to. Now, to help us then interpret what tongue means, we need to consider first some key words, followed by factors we find in the scripture regarding tongues. So we begin with the consideration of the two key words in that phrase, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. The expression different kinds of tongues in the NIV is translated from a Greek word that may mean nation. People, as the word is used by Apostle Paul in reference to Israel, As identified uh, as he identified himself as a Hebrew person in Philippians chapter three, verse five. Philippians Chapter 3, verse 5. This is what he said. circumcised size on the eighth day. Now that, this what I've just read is one of those things, that, uh, This, those who are doing all these projects in Israel, looking for the lost tribe. That's one of the things, one of the criteria that they're using. Because every Hebrew person, no matter where they have been on this planet, they never can explain why Every one of them circumcised their children, male children, on the eighth day. No one can explain that. Even they, I mean, they lost every understanding of their heritage. Yet, that is something they, no one can explain. And that's what they, part of one of the things they use. It says, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. So, the word means people or nation. Now, the word also means Offspring. As it is used by Apostle Paul to put what the Athenian uh, poet said, as recorded in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Acts. Looking at time, it's time for break, and after break, we'll read that.